You're listening to Soho Radio's Culture Channel. On SohoRadioLondon.com. Welcome to Roaring Twenties Radio. I'm Emma Rose and I'm here with... Yeah, you're listening to Roaring Twenty Radio and I'm Selena and I'm here with... Emma Rose. <laughs> We're happy to be here. It's September. It's sunny. It's strangely sunny. It's a Saturday in September and we have got a ram-packed show for you this month. Um, yeah, but first, before we kick off, we're going to play you Do Up That Thing by Lauren Hill. Yo, remember yeah. back on the bully when cats used to harmonize like yeah. Yo, 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 my men and my women, don't forget about the dean. This is not the most the king, yo. It's about a thing, uh, yo. Feel yo. real good when Called you again. Uh, Remember when he told you he was about to uh-huh, bend your mans? Yeah. You act like you and him, they give him a little trim to begin. Now you think you really gon' pretend like you wasn't down and you called him again. Plus when you give it up so easy, you ain't even fooling him. Yeah. If you did it then, then you probably yeah. talking out your next and you're a Christian. I must slam sleeping with the gin. Now that was the sin that did Jezebel in. Who you gon' tell when the repercussions spin? Showing off your ass because you thinking it's a trend, girlfriend. Let me break it down for you again. You know I only say it because I'm truly genuine. Don't be a hard rock when you really are a gin, baby girl. Respect is just a minimum. When you still defending them now. Lauren is only human. Don't think I haven't been through the same predicament. Let it sit inside your head like a million women in Philly pen. It's silly when girls sell their souls because it's sin. Look at where you be in. Hair weaves like Europeans. Fake nails done by Koreans. Come again. And it's Tim's and it's women, him and his men Come in the club like hooligans Don't care who they your fan, Papa Yang Like you got Yang Let's not pretend The one to pack pissed out by the waistman Crissed out by the casement Still the name of this basement The pretty face man Claiming that they did a bit, man Need to take care of their three and four kids In the face in court case When the child supports late Money taking heartbreak And now you wonder why women hate me And the sneaky silent man The punk domestic violence man The quick to shoot the semen Stop acting like boys and be men How you gonna win when you ain't right with them? How you gonna win when you ain't right with them? How you gonna win when you ain't right with them? 
ain't right with that. Round table having war council. Press one button, it'll 
can change the world around you Too rare, nothing to see here Cuban over my streetwear You're nobody that somebody kills you just to be fair It's okay to keep the mystique I learned that in the street I'm me, solo with deep I'm putting on for the G's We've been doing gangsta shit for a long time Look inside my mind, see a gold mine I'm my own cosign, she texting the old line You keep staring at the glow, bitch don't go blind Brave heart energy, fuck all of the enemies XO Hennessy is not on me, it's in me I'm not here to be friendly, they ain't even contending Caprende We've been doing gangsta shit for a long time Look inside my mind, see a gold mine I'm my own cosign, she texting the old line Caprende It's up Hit boy, you on some other shit. We on some other shit. Caprende. Yeah. You're listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. We've got a really lovely show for you today. The best of art and culture, books, poetry, protest, activism. There's so much coming up. We've got a conversation with Baxter Jury. We've got amazing art. What have you got, what have you got coming in this week, this I month? Got a conversation I had um, about the Migrant Festival and his work uh, at Selfridges, an icon gallery with Yusuf, Osman Yusuf Zada who um, is fashion designer Osman and he's also got a biography autobiography coming out next year so that's going to be really interesting I've got a couple of art tips and um, we've also got Matt's poetry roundup and here in the studio with us we also have Shemaine Suleiman hi how you doing writer poet and editor of the good immigrant we're going to be chatting to Shemaine a bit later but first let's go to some poetry this is uh, our co-host Matt Abbott with his roundup of what's hot in the world of poetry and spoken word. Hello everybody, my name is Matt Abbott and I'm here with your monthly roundup from the world of spoken word poetry on Roaring Twenties Radio. There's tons of exciting stuff going on at the moment, online and in person, so I've picked out five from each of the categories, events, releases and content, and I'm giving them to you now, but there's tons of stuff out there. If you are feeling confident enough, I cannot recommend in-person poetry enough. I've done a couple of events recently and I've been in tears on several occasions, so please do check out these events and support artists and venues and promoters because they are the pillars of communities around the country and around the world. Right, so, events. Uh, at the moment, the BBC Contained Strong Language Festival is happening in Coventry. This is an annual festival of spoken word poetry that moves around the country. Started off in Hull a couple of years ago. It's currently in Coventry. And tomorrow afternoon at 4.30pm in the Belgrade Theatre, you can see the likes of Luke Wright, Liz Berry, Emily Lauren-Jones and Pauline Black from The Selector, who was born and bred in Coventry. So that's BBC Contained Strong Language Festival. And the event that I've just mentioned is tomorrow at 4.30pm at the Belgrade Theatre. This coming Wednesday up north in Bradford is Front Room Poetry. So Front Room Poetry, as you can gather from the name, started off in lockdown and it was poets performing in their front rooms. But since lockdown has started to lift, they've basically constructed a living room set that they're taking around Bradford. So lamps, sofas, tables, etc. And they're in skate parks and outside community centres and it's free because it's outside. So it's like a public art installation but with poetry that's outside and it's free. And this Wednesday... The 29th of September at Northcliffe Park. I'll be performing alongside Chedu Akara and Zaki Ajabin. There's also a workshop earlier in the day if you're interested. So go to bdproducinghub.co.uk if you're near Bradford and you fancy getting involved. 
This coming Thursday, Outspoken London returned to the South Bank Centre in London, which is brilliant news. So Outspoken London, one of the best nights in the country. This coming Thursday on the 30th of September, we have Sophia, Camaria, Kinshasa, Rebecca Perry and Jack Underwood, as well as music from Michelle and Soul Collective. So that is Outspoken London this Thursday at the South Bank. On Thursday the 7th of October, which is also National Poetry Day, Joelle Taylor is launching Kunto and Othered Poems at the book club. Now, this is sold out, but there's a waiting list, and I know that the venue did release a few extra tickets, and I know that some people have been dropping out as well, so it's well worth signing up to the waiting list if you think you might be able to make it. The 7th of October, Joelle Taylor launching Kunto and Othered Poems. And in November, Livewire Manchester returns. So Livewire is the event that nymphs and thugs take around the country. We do it at festivals, in pubs, in art centres, in theatres, all over the place. And last time we went to Manchester on our tour, it sold out at the Edge Theatre and Art Centre in Cholton. We're back there again on the 11th of November with Tori Garbutt, Maria Ferguson, Andrew McMillan and Ella Otomowo. So make sure you're there on the 11th of November. That is Live Wire Manchester at the Edge. And also, this is the sixth one. I'm sort of cheating, but I just want to talk, uh, I just want to chuck in Verve Poetry Festival, Verve Poetry and Spoken Word Festival. It returns to Birmingham from the 16th to the 20th of Feb. If you haven't been before, it is a truly magical event. There's not really anything else like it in terms of alternative poetry and spoken word, whatever label you want to put on it. But it comes back to Birmingham, 16th to the 20th of Feb, Verve Poetry and spoken word festival so do add that to your diaries right releases the book of bad betty's is just come out on bad betty press it was edited by vanessa kasuli and anya koenig i mentioned it a few months ago because they opened uh, some submissions for people to submit poems about powerful and brilliant women uh, and it's out now uh, joelle taylor had this to say about it by far the most exciting questing and innovative anthology of women-centered poetry in recent years rich Irritable, joyous, beautifully written, exquisitely edited and curated, the Book of Bad Betty's is an essential addition to the contemporary literary canon. So if that's not enough to make you want to buy it, I don't know what is. It's only a tenner. It's out now with Bad Betty Press. Phoebe Stucks has just published a pamphlet called The One Girl Gremlin with Verve Poetry Press. Phoebe's trademark poems of high humour and hubris take on a dreamier, more abstract quality. Perhaps the wisecracking party girl of her earlier work is sensing that, for a while at least, the party is postponed. There isn't much worth staying up late for anymore in these poems instead. Our character lies awake in bed, long into the night, or wakes up into a pre-dawn world that they barely recognise. This new setting is inviting, threatening and not to be trusted so it sounds very intriguing that's phoebe stucks with the one girl gremlin on verve poetry press bridget hart publishes chewing gum on the 21st of october with small press books chewing gum is a glorious queer rewriting of greece bridget hart they are brilliant they shared some of their work on roaring 20s radio a few months ago and i'm very much looking forward to seeing what chewing gum looks like couple of sneak peek illustrations online and they're awesome so yeah that sounds great. On Burning Eye Books, which Bridget is involved in, as I'm sure you know, uh, Deanna Roger has just published... Oh, no, sorry. Deanna Roger is about to publish His Fingers Have Left. That's out on the 7th of October, which, as I said, is National Poetry Day. It's a bit like Christmas for us. His Fingers Have Left features five poems inspired by Kevin Elliott's plays. Each poem must be from the perspective of an inanimate object, have a poetic form, and be on the theme of sex. So, yeah, sounds good. 
nice one. Deanna Roger, absolutely uh, amazing poet. And then finally, Gail McConnell, The Sun is Open, out now on Pending the Margins. According to Maggie Nelson, each page is rich with exquisite and surprising language, pain and wisdom. So that is Gail McConnell with The Sun is Open, out now on Pending the Margins. And finally, content. Uh, a conversation about Islamophobia in the UK since 9-11. This was a Guardian podcast which featured poet Sahima Manzur Khan in conversation with Nabil Abdul Rashid. Sahima Manzur Khan, one of the most exciting writers and poets and activists in the country, in fact, in the world right now. And this is a conversation about Islamophobia in the UK since 9-11. As you know, two weeks ago, it was the anniversary, the 20-year anniversary, so a lot of people have been speaking about it, but uh, this is a really insightful and and important podcast to listen to. It's about 40 minutes long, so it's good length. Writing on the Wall is a festival up in Liverpool, and they occasionally have month-long writer's block residencies. This month is Tori Garbutt, so head to their website or Twitter or YouTube for videos of the Q&As and sessions to get some advice and uh, info from Tori Garbutt, who's uh, just a fantastic mind. Uh, the National Theatre of Scotland and the BBC recently produced a video called Courier Culture, which features a rookie fast food courier in a post-Covid Glasgow. It's hilarious. It was written by Kevin P. Gilday. It's not technically poetry, but Kevin is a poet, so it's allowed to be included. And the last two uh, are podcasts. So the People's Poetry Podcast Series 7 is out now. Guests include Emily Harrison and Rory Aaron, and all of the previous series are on there as well. So wherever you usually get your podcasts, check out the People's Poetry Podcast. And finally... Apples and Snakes have launched a podcast. Series one focuses on what it means to be a black British poet and spoken word artists in Britain right now. Yomi Sode is the host. Uh, that's Apples and Snakes with their new podcast, which launched in August. Series one asks what it means to be a black British poet and spoken, wo spoken word artist. I can't get the words out. Uh, in Britain right now. And Yomi Sode is the host. So that's my roundup. There is uh, a plethora of activity out there uh, you know, it's been a great struggle for me to narrow it down to five in each category but go out there and find it for yourself and enjoy uh poetry can save the world a little bit at a time i reckon uh my name is matt abbott thank you for listening i'm going to leave you now with a tune cheers
20s Radio. I'm Emma Rose and that was Nick Cave with Into My Arms. Um, you just heard Matt's roundup. Unfortunately, he's not joining us in person this month. He'll be back. But uh, Matt actually got married for the second time. Congratulations, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Matt and Maria. Yeah. Matt and Maria. Congrats, oh, Matt and Maria. Them. So that song's for them. Congratulations. And we actually have, Matt's had some time to work on his actual writing himself. Does so much for others. Um, but he's been writing a new collection of poetry. And um, so here is an exclusive excerpt from that. This is The Viaduct by Matt Abbott. This is a poem called The Viaduct, which is about a venue in Leeds City Centre. It's currently a drag cabaret bar, The Viaduct Show Bar, which is an LGBTQ space open to all. And about 20 years ago, it was frequented by football hooligans on match day. And it fascinates me how the same space could inhabit two wildly different cultures. So this is called The Viaduct. And you walk in here and just know 
You don't hover. And the punters, they won't tell you. You have to ask yourself. Bodies make collisions. Songs beat conversations. You either know the words to that one or you don't. The wallpaper would sweat. Now it's sequined. Dresses from Hugo Boss to Cross. Bald patch to blonde wig swaying in the strut. Scars are exhibited one way or another. On crimson hands that looked as though they'd just been breaking bricks. On glittered hands that have just been painting nails. DIY tattoos showed swastikas. Calligraphy initials, a victim of the 80s. Pints pirouetted, dregs tossed like seeds. Flutes flying encores, shots come as standard. Nod, sip, scowl, smoke, stood firmly where you could. Wave, sway, smile, sing, dance freely where you choose. Square-inch territory, Stone Island jumpers, square-foot slut drops, size 11 heels. Uninvited eye contact could shift you straight to Jimmy's. Nowadays, it could shift you on the spectrum. Busting noses, saving face, snorting keys and breaking bands. Who oh, the fuck are Leeds United? The whites go marching on. Lip syncs and Hindus, double dates and double stubble. Who the fuck are Leeds United? The queens go dancing on. The Fred Perry wreath, the Stone Island compass, the AIDS epidemic, the Stonewall riots, the Cross of St George, the Yorkshire Rose, the Union flag, the rainbow flag, the rainbow flag, the rainbow flag. Patches sewn on jumpers, stories told with craft, tits made from silicon, egos like balloons, hit flasks with absinthe to weed out all the boys, hit flasks with absinthe, unlearn the bullied boy. An altar, a hideout, a belonging, an outlet, a training course, an answer, from men who had to broadcast bollocks to those who choose to tuck, funny where some folk feel threatened. In their way 
about stories with reason and rhyme circling through your brain and think about people in their season listening to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. Um, I hope you're all well. Um, I have been so busy. I don't even know where to begin to fill you in with exciting things that are happening with books and poetry and on my radar um, because obviously we took August off so there's a lot to catch up with. But one of my highlights of August was I got to go to the social massive favourite venue in central London and have a chat with Baxter Jury in real life. Um, it was so exciting. It was a packed venue. It was such a beautiful vibe. And we got to have a little sit down and a little chat about his um, memoir Shays Long and it's about his childhood and growing up with his obviously his father is Ian Jury so their relationship and it's about that and and about and he he wrote the book in the house that he grew up in which I found very fascinating and he's such a fascinating brilliant dry witty man so we were allowed we've been given permission to share just a little snippet of that conversation can't play it all but here's just like the first couple of minutes and I thought you might enjoy it here on Roaring Twenties Radio. So here I am in conversation with Baxter Jury. With another. At times his situation was so perilous and in the extreme, the world is lucky to have him at all. Shays Long is a brilliant and vivid and intimate account of those escapades, evocatively illuminating a bohemian West London populated with lively and wild characters Narrated in Jury's candid tone, both sad and funny, this moving story will leave an indelible imprint on its readers. So I had this book given to me last week. I've spent the last week in Baxter Jury's brain. Um, <laughs> I've listened to all of your music and I've been reading this book and I've enjoyed it so much and it's a real honour to be here talking with you. Welcome Thank to you very much. The Social Baxter Jury. Thank you. It was quite. I kept on laughing at some of the because it's quite sad. Some of it, isn't it? When you say, "Yeah, there's a drug dealer," I went. <laughs> and it's quite weird. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> so the first question. Let's start at the beginning. It's a very good place to start. What was the starting point for this book? Was it a specific memory or a specific chapter that started this journey of writing? Where did this book begin for you? 
Um, it began quite manipulatively with a book deal, actually. I thought... <laughs> To reverse the kind of obvious trend, because I thought, you know, I could sit there and, and boil and marinate in my own creative historic juices, or I could just try and get some money out of a situation I could tell. So in the most crude way, I thought, I'm going to sell this story, and then I sell it, and I might not do it, I might not, but it's a fucking good story. My dad's quite famous, and it was a f fraudulent avenue I went for which is always a very convincing um, source of motivation for anyone. If it's like, if you want some money, and I think that's what essentially I did. I thought, I'm gonna get a book deal. I met the guy called James, who was better than the last manager who, who introduced me to the right person. And they seemed convinced by a few A4 bits of paper. Uh, sorry, am I going too far on this? Carry on. <laughs> but, um, which bit did you write first? Well, did you start at the beginning or did you start in the middle? You know, because sometimes um, when you write memoir, you kind of, it's like one thing triggers you and then suddenly you're off and you've written a whole load of pages. Was there a certain starting, that's what, a, what do you think? Was there like a thing you went, oh, I want to write about that specifically? Yeah, I, I wrote some random anecdotes, I think, and, and sent them around and a few people responded and I was quite surprised. And um, yeah, it started right in the middle and I had an idea that I was going to try and craft like a two-year window of my life. But confronted with the realities of writing, I wasn't able to gracefully or ambiently write about those. I, c I couldn't fill out two years of, of life. I wasn't a good enough writer. So then that's when I went back and a bit forward, if you know what I mean. If that makes sense. So yeah, I had a, a period when I was about 14 and I wrote a story about that. But the vivid memories I wrote about. Well, I loved it, and um, I want to say that I find this book courageous. It's also honest and candid, witty, bold, entertaining, exciting, and bittersweet. Above all, though, I found this book to be a story that was deeply courageous. I kept coming back to the word courage when I was reading it. Can you talk to me about your courage? How do you find it, and how do you nurture it? I mean, you're the first person to ever mention it, to be honest. <laughs> So I'm just trying to assimilate the idea. And no one's ever said the word courage in my name before. But I'm wearing it well, like this ill-fitting 80s suit in the same way. I'm brave. Um, I'm wearing a chain and I'm wearing my courage. I don't really, I mean, it's as anecd... I don't know the concept really, what courage is, but I did something. I don't know if you have a choice. If it's like squeezing a thing and, it's, and the stuff comes out, it's a, it's a pass. So, I mean, if you can bullshit, you can... I mean, the most articulate, not to refer back to fraudulent, fraudulent people, but the most articulate people are the fraudulent people. And it's a, it's, a, it's a fog of, it's a, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's good. Next question. <laughs> courage isn't something I've ever been, I don't, well, I'll have to look I it up. Like you Can you tell me what the definition of courage means? Your book is courageous. I yeah. thought it was Thank really you. courageous. Thank you. That's really the best thing I've ever heard. Oh, but it was. Thank it's you. beautiful. Yeah. Okay, next question. When writing memoir, we often find ourselves on a path of self-discovery, sometimes writing about things we might not have thought about before or events we had forgotten for a long time. Sometimes this can be painful. Sometimes it can be funny. Sometimes we remember things differently when we have a pen in our hands and we write them down. Can you tell me a little bit about the things you might have learned writing this or the things you enjoyed? Well, I sort of I got a really good um, perspective of my whole childhood, which I, there's a sort of trend to be uh, burdened by your childhood, and especially me. And I'm trying to get a, establish a music career, and I have a famous father, and that's a burden. And there's money, and there's not money, and there's divorce, and whatever. 
And actually, when you solidify it or you put it all in perspective and you, and you, and you think of all the crazy events that happened and you think of the generation that, that spawned my parents, I don't know if that's the right word, it seems a bit dramatic, um, but that my parents came from, and you know, post-war and stuff, the, the, the biggest fundamental thing I came out with, that, that they were both fantastic, and it's a really, that was amazing revelation, because I was always kind of going, but mum left the margarine out, or dad, I mean mum left the margarine out, and dad did a, a vast range of very extreme things that we, I didn't even mention in the book. But they all have an equal impact at a young age. And I think that was a really amazing thing. I thought, they were so cool, my parents. And I think that I went a bit emotional there. But actually thinking about that, or writing this is the most, it was the clearest, the first. I think there's a vacuum if you're from a famous parent. You're under scrutiny constantly. And you might abuse that fact. At a young age, you might be in a situation where you use the fact that you have a famous parent to gain recognition or anything, you, could, you just can't help it. It's impossible. It's in a fact, you know, it's there, and you'll use it. And this was a good way of controlling that and putting them back in their place, both of them, and then yeah. making normalizing them. And Dad was a fucking nutter, <laughs> but actually, really, what justified his nuttiness is how normal and wonderful he could be as well. So. With the noise of the night chances Good cheer to the warehouse You left me in hotel and more Boring stories is all I need And the fine wine diners trying to prize money from me Prizing money from imaginary donors Past the point of relevance, that's all I see I'm crazy, I tryna sleep. You left me with the crumbs of my spare thoughts. You left me with the noise of the night chances. Good cheer to the weirds. My hands are dripping in cold, cold coffee, and the crumbs are stuck to my optics. You left me. Call me from a taxi telling me how good I can be And how much you miss me But you're a kilometre away You left me with the crumbs of my spare thoughts You left me with the noise of the night chances Good cheer to the wee hours you left me with the crumbs of my spare thoughts You left me with the noise of the night chances Good cheer to the wee hours
So that was Baxter Jury, and that's a track from his latest album. And we also heard him chatting with me at The Social. Um, the book that he's uh, just released is called Chaise Long. It's out now. He's doing lots of gigs and events. So check out his Instagram and Twitter and whatnot to go and see him live. Thank you, Baxter, for giving us permission to play that. OK, it's now time for my book recommendations. Oh, my God, get a pencil. There are just get write these down. There are some incredible, amazing poets and authors just rising up from the absolute hellhole that the last two years have been and releasing incredible creativity and resilience and beauty and art. And I am so excited by all of it. So, uh, latest book that I just read is Michaela Cole, Misfits. It's short and concise and powerful and stunning. Her voice is just beautiful. It's honest and painful and inspiring. It's a really easy read. It took me like an hour to read. So get that. It's um, out just, just now, I think like last week, as Michaela Cole, Misfits. Total legend. God bless her. Long may she reign. Okay, also on my list, we've got... Um, I'm, still, I'm still thinking about Bass Rock by Evie Wilde. You know, it's really good and the audiobook is fantastic, so dig that out. I'm also really into Elif Shafak, her The Island of Missing Trees, her latest book's got a beautiful dark blue cover. Look out for that and get that. Somebody has passed me a copy of Ace of Spades by Farida Abika Ayimid. I apologise if I spell if I pronounce that wrong. Um, but Ace of Spades, it's got a really, you can't miss the cover and someone passed me a copy of that. I've had a look through it. It looks, it looks amazing. So look out for that. I think that's going to be doing really well this season. Um, current reads. Well, coming up, I'm going to be at, uh, where am I going to be? I'm going to be at Henley, Henley Literature Festival. And so a lot of the reading I'm doing is because I'm doing festivals with people. So the two writers that I'm very excited to be meeting are Nima Shah and Naomi. Naomi Ishiguru. Naomi Ishiguru's latest book is Common Ground and Nima Shah, Kololo Hill. So I'm reading both of those books and loving the audiobooks and I'll be in conversation with them at Henley Lit Fest. Tickets are still available. Also, uh, just recently, I did a gig with Wim at Wimbledon Book Fest with Jennifer Nansabuga Makumbi. And her book, uh, First Woman, is amazing. Um, we were put together with uh, Lucy Jago, who wrote A Net for Small Fishes. If you want to catch up with our conversations, that's Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, First Woman, and A Net for Small Fishes, discussing our three novels. You will find that at Wimbledon Book Fest. It's still up there. And um, that was a really fun conversation I really love the way festivals programme and put women together and put women writers together and books that have powerful strong lead female characters together so that's really exciting um, going back a little further, I was at Edinburgh Book Fest and I got to chat with Caleb Azuma Nelson. Um, that's up on the Edinburgh, um, the Edinburgh International Book Festival website if you want to catch up with our conversation. And I'm very excited that I'm being put together with Caleb and Anna Bailey, um, who wrote Tall Bones at Cheltenham Literature Festival, which is happening in October. So they're also on my reading list and on my recommendation list. Anna Bailey, Tall Bones and Caleb Azuma Nelson. Nelson with Open Water, beautiful book, fantastic. 
High on my list as well is Becoming Mr. Nice by Amber Marks. This book is beautiful, collectible, honest. It's just so gorgeous. If you were into reading Mr. Nice, Howard Marks, um, you'd be really into reading this story and the collection of essays and letters and photographs from Amber's point of view as his daughter. It's a beautiful story of the daughter and father relationship, but also about the things that were going on behind the scenes. And Howard Marks was such a meticulous and a meticulous mind and so there's so this it's just fascinating the things that were kept in his archives um we're hoping to have amber marks on as a guest a bit later on um in this in the year so listen out for that but highly recommend it becoming mr nice by amber marks also high on my list is all the names given by raymond antrobus um he's got a glorious new collection all the names given so look out for that i think we're going to have him in next month fingers crossed um, and new books out, new, new, brand new books. Everything is going to be all right is a new anthology that's been edited by Cecilia Knapp. It's poems for when you really need them. And I know that sounds, ah, oh, but they're not poems that are just, ah, oh, they're also poems that kicks up the bum and slaps around the back of the head. It's really good. It's a really fantastic collection. It's got some amazing poets in it. I'm very proud um, to have a poem in there too. Um, Rough Trade Books are busy. They've got a new um, collection out by Ella Frears called I Am Mother Cat. That's coming out on National Poetry Day. Courtier Newland's new short story collection is on its way. Um, Your Show, a new novel by Ashley Hickson Lovance is on its way. Coming out in October, we've got Sky Arts are doing a new season of Life and Rhymes with Benjamin Zephaniah. I was very excited to be part of that. And that's going to be on Sky Arts, I think, launching on National Poetry Day. Also on National Poetry Day, if you tune in to BBC Radio 2, um, there's a selection of poets, including myself and Holly McNish and Jackie Kay, um, doing poetry throughout the day on BBC Two. Um, so coming up uh, for me, October the 3rd, Henley, October the 4th, National Poetry Day, October the 8th, I'm at Cheltenham Literature Festival, October the 9th, J um, Durham Book Festival, doing a, an amazing event about sleep at Durham Book Festival. On October the 14th, it's the Gordon Byrne Prize um, ceremony. Very excited to see Mrs Death, Mrs Death shortlisted, so fingers crossed. But it's such an incredible list. Uh, high on all of my recommendations are all, all of the people, not just on the shortlist, but on the long list of the Gordon Byrne Prize. If you go to bookshop.org, all of the... Um, all of the people nominated are there. And then October 16th, Push the Boat Out is in Edinburgh. October the 21st, well, I'm sorry, Push the Boat Out is a new poetry festival. Um, and that's up in Edinburgh, so I'm back up in Scotland again then. And then on October the 21st, um, at Forest Gate Library with Courtier Newland. So look out for that. You'll find all that on my website. Very, very busy month, very exciting stuff. Um, I'm just going to do one more plug. The Good Grief Festival. It's a new festival. It's on October the 30th to October 31st. And uh, and I really think, I talk about this a lot when I'm talking about my book, but I really think there's a lot of grief and a lot of recovery and a lot of healing going on. And so I think this Good Grief Festival is vital and really important. I'm proud to be part of it. And the lineup looks incredible. So look that up. Um, I'll be tweeting and talking about that as the, as the weeks go by. So to round up my very packed, I told you to get a pencil and write all this down, 
to round up my very packed um, book roundup, I've got a tiny clip from Ruth Ozeki's uh, Ruth um, The Book of Form and Emptiness. This is a fantastic book. It's a book about loving books. It's a book about books. It's just so rich and such a gorgeous novel to curl up with this autumn. Um, check it out. I've just got a tiny clip and then we'll be back with more, more, more. The first words of a book are of utmost importance. The moments of encounter, when a reader turns to that first page and reads those opening words, it's like locking eyes or touching someone's hand for the first time. And we feel it too. Books don't have eyes or hands, it's true, but when a book and a reader are meant for each other, <laughs> both of them know it. And this is what happened when Annabelle opened Tidy Magic. When she read the first sentence, a shiver ran down both their spines. If you are reading this, then chances are you are dissatisfied with your life. You would like to make a change, but you feel so overwhelmed you don't even know where to begin. Yes, thought Annabelle. That's right. You know your life would be better with less clutter. You've tried to discard things and clean up your home but it never seems to make any real difference. You run out of energy, and before you know it, your belongings have gotten the upper hand again, and your possessions have you in their thrall. That was it exactly. How did the little book know?
Hello and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Radio. Uh, my name's Emma Rose and um, I'm here with Selena Godden. And um, I am just about introducing a uh, conversation I had with Osman Yusufzada a couple of months ago now about his work in Birmingham. He's designed a wrap for the bull ring in Birmingham. So basically it's this huge thing that you see... Um, the infinity pattern that you see as you pull in and it just well, it dominates the skyline of Birmingham. If you know the city, you'll know what I mean. It's enormous. Um, he is from Birmingham and um, he started or was instrumental in starting the Migrant Festival there. And he has this kind of history with the place. He is just this kind of polymath. He does his fashion label Osman which people will know and he has a book coming out with Canongate in autobiography next year and um, he uh, also does a lot of poetry filmmaking and he um, makes art as well so I'm just going to play you a clip of our conversation so you can find out a little bit more about Osman and a little bit more about the project in Birmingham the Migrant Festival and yeah here we go. Hi Osman welcome to the show uh, Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, so happy we could get you on. Very much enjoyed coming to see Infinity Pattern in Birmingham now a few weeks ago. I wanted to ask you firstly about that. How did all of that come about? Um, I kind of it took um, a couple of years. I think it was a really long, and then the pandemic actually really um, sort of stalled a few things basically along the way um but it was um it was a competition that icon and selfridges had actually um orchestrated so there was renovation works to happen to get the building ready for um the commonwealth games and so what they really wanted to do was um to actually find a um, a way to really to to use this kind of a new facade and create a new facade for it, so it was an international competition. They had they kind of approached five artists, and each of them were asked to actually um, submit a proposal. And then it was a long waiting game, and then from five it came down to three, and then from three it was two, and then uh, then you kind of like then you waited forever, and then it kind of finally sort of. I mean, the homeboy actually won. So yes. that was kind of quite, <laughs> I was quite nice, actually. It was quite nice that it was me that I kind of grew up in Birmingham, but I live in London now. And it was kind of, it's a kind of monumental. It's probably the most important building in the whole skyline. Absolutely. And it's one of, yeah, and it's one of the few future systems buildings in the world, really. And it just, it looks, as you pull into Birmingham, it's just there, you see it, and it's beautiful. And it just is, it's kind of very uplifting kind of pattern and very bright, and it, you can't miss it. No, you can't, you what, definitely miss no, it. No, no. <laughs> but, but, um, and it's just, it just is such a kind of balm for the eyes. It's lovely. But what does it feel like as a kind of someone who grew up locally to pull into your hometown and see this thing? I mean, I think I'm forever having an imposter syndrome anyway. So it's never really, you can have to actually pinch yourself many times thinking, yeah, what? <laughs> I'm Bosil Heath. <laughs> like, um, kind of thing. So for, for those who don't really know Bosil Heath, it's kind of like, 
it's a cool but grim part of actually Birmingham. Yeah. Um, it's the hands off of actually the the north of um, the south of actually Birmingham. So the hands Hansworth is north um, Birmingham, and then it's the other sort of like migrant to immigrant kind of hub. Yeah. And um, when I was kind of growing up, it was one it was one of the biggest prostitute in the 80s and 90s, one of the biggest prostitute sort of districts in um, the whole of probably, I think, Northern England, I think. I mean, the whole of England. I mean, I think it was called the... I mean, I think, remember, there's a title. I was, like, doing some research recently, and it was, like, the wickedest road in Birmingham, which actually had 450 prostitutes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So I don't know who went around counting these prostitutes. Yeah, I know. But anyway, there was the road that actually, it was a bit like a mini Amsterdam where women would sit in um, um, in their front windows in, in kind of like semi-revealing or reveal or night clothes or negligees and against these sort of like um, prim curtains. So it's like this... So as adolescent boys, kind of like boys would kind of like go around actually peering into these windows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been cut. It sounds very kind of filmic in a way. It's quite surreal. Yeah, no, it is kind of quite, uh, it was really quite surreal. I think, you know, you're, A, you're kind of, I think you're on the wrong side of track. So that automatically always has this kind of like nose up against the window and you're looking from somewhere else and in. But then there's also, when you look inwards, there's a sense of community and actually sense of belonging as well. What is kind of quite sad, it, they did, people have left. So like, you know, the Irish community left, the kind of, the Afro-Caribbean community left, the Hindus and the Sikhs actually left. And now it's very much like the Muslim enclaves where you kind of like see as... They're kind of real, the ghettos of the north to some extent, where it's a very inward-looking community. And and if you read the Daily Mail, it does kind of class it as the jihadi, <laughs> the jihadi capital of uh, England. So it's um, it's a really quite an interesting area. I mean, I mean, I, I kind of left, and then I I kind of would go back intermittently, and then I the last three years I've been going back really every weekend. I mean, part. Uh, my dad died and then I've been looking after my mom. So it's been this kind of real like rediscovery as well. And so there's been many kind of like, it's this kind of, I feel like I'm, I'm actually later on in my life. I mean, I kind of ran away and then I kind of, I kind of reconciled and I've come back and I feel like I'm kind of like living, being half a Birmingham, half a Londoner. It's nice, it's nice. And then this kind of huge statement of your return as well. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and then there's an art trail within Selfridges, isn't there? There's, there's You've got poetry and photography. Um, do you have... Yeah, no, I, I kind of... I'm still actually a little bit delayed in um, a couple of stuff that I'm supposed to have made and a series of, like, works and paper that I'm making. Yeah. Um, but what's in there at the moment is a piece that I which is a series of cooking pots, which was part of my show at the Icon, being somewhere else. And then there's a poem I wrote for a spoken word film that I did is sort of a, a kind of like a love letter to Birmingham, um, looking at, um, I don't know, someone sort of like jazzy actually kind of spliced it very nicely. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's got my spoken word in it. And um yeah, it's kind of quite cool. It goes from actually 
Birmingham city centre down to South Birmingham to Bussell Heath to some of the kind of like the fabric shops to the curry belt, the sort of the 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 Balti Triangle. So it's kind of quite um, it's quite sort of mosaic as well. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of and it was done in with alongside Icon or in partnership with Icon. The film was actually done commissioned by Selfridges. Uh-huh. So the film was actually commissioned by Selfridges and we were very grateful to have full creative freedom. That's great. Um, and so we kind of, I found this amazing um, factory in the jewellery quarter that wanted to be part of it. So there, there's just sort of lots of different characters. And yeah. it's also kind of like, I it's kind of called I, I Too Am Homegrown, sort of a little bit of a sort of like a tongue-in-cheek of being homegrown something else <laughs> but um but it was just this idea of actually belonging and yeah. really like that multitudes are my own and an infinities to be found and the rest of it so it was a kind of it was nice yeah it's very beautiful very beautiful and then um and i also wanted to ask you about the migrant festival which um is which will have happened by the time this interview broadcasts but this was it was kind of conceptualized by yourself essentially wasn't it it's in its third year now no it's in its third year so what i i mean i was very lucky and kind enough to be approached by the icon to have a they approached me to to have a solo at the icon and then they what happened was kind of like they thought that i was going to do something which was probably more kind of garment making or fashion kind of like focused yeah. but then I thought I didn't really want I wasn't really at that point in my career I didn't really want to, to kind of like and I had a multidisciplinary practice which had been bubbling and I really wanted to kind of refocus um, some of the conversations and I think some some of my frustrations in a kind of very fast world where design especially in fashion that you know it doesn't tend to have I mean, it doesn't stay, it doesn't seem to have meaning. It's very much kind of garbed in a fast-paced, kind of fast-fashion kind of world where it's more and more product. And you, if you've got to be part of that system, you've got to actually... It's a very seasonal seasonal system and it's a very kind of like again and again and again. And so to kind of reckon... And it's something that I've been reconciling with probably, probably very, very early, very early on. And so I started a zine um, 2013, um, which is called The Collective. And that was kind of like bringing in together sort of intersections of art, sort of garment making, fashion, tech. So that sort of has been sort of how I've created a community and how I actually kind of found space and do work and have different conversations. And then I was a really great opportunity to to create something sort of ethno-autobiographic, actually a show which was being somewhere else. So, and I, and I find a lot of kind of museums and spaces like that kind of elitist, you know, in a way that I, I was never, I felt that I could never come there as a kid or I never knew that it ever existed. Mm. And um, um, so it was just kind of a way of actually trying to get many people so I wanted to activate it yes so we did a four-day kind of event which is called the migrant festival and then 
I thought, yeah, let me open some my Rolodex. And then I kind of just got lots of people and I said, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And I can actually brought other people to the table. And so we had like four days of like continuous back-to-back activity and yeah. sort of I think I killed a few people. <laughs> but they, <laughs> it killed people who organised it. <laughs> like, but I'm probably used to much working at a much faster and a yes. kind of like a industry pace yeah Yeah, like rather than a kind of like a slower pace i think that's possible that's possible that can do this and um so i kind of we kind of filled it out we got like the dakar art summit involved we got um, a film that i made we got kind of livia fur from eco age involved we got sort of other artists involved we got local artists to do workshops with actually some of the children uh we got like sort of asian uh, women from South Asia talking about their sort of experience of actually ex- exclusion. There was, I mean, it was like a kind of this platform of yeah. like anyone could come and actually, it was like Speaker's Corner in London somehow. Wonderful. Um, but over a four days kind of event and come and listen to me somehow or I want to be involved. That's wonderful. So, yeah. So that was really the start of it. And then I kind of like, and then they, then I think the following, the next year, I think they had, someone else i think hugh Locke actually did something with them that year it coincided with his with his exhibition and then i think it was the pandemic and then they did, they did something with harun mirza mm. and then and then the following this year i think they've got a few other plans as well yeah it's super exciting and it's kind of it obviously met a need in birmingham because it's gained this momentum since yeah yeah which is really I- I think there's this spaces just need to kind of open up to people with ideas and they need to just kind of like say, and I think that's something that I've really kind of learned to actually much be kind of, there's a whole kind of like everything is about ego at the end of the day. I don't know if you want, and that kind of like that is just being the ability to be a bit more kind of like open and who kind of like puts value on something or not. And I think, yeah, you know, we're not living in a kind of, it's not a complete utopia world because the world isn't really structured like that or like complete equal access and there's lots of barriers to entry for many different people but I think that the more momentum or the more change that can actually happen through actually opening out spaces is something which is really quite key for me. I did not become someone different that I did not want to be. But I'm new here. Will you show me around?
Radio. I'm Emma Rose and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what's happening in the art world this month. Everything's kind of opening up. I feel like I'm going to have a lot more to say in a month. Um, commercially, there is this huge art fair that happens in Switzerland called Art Basel in Basel. And, um, <laughs> and because of how meshed up the art world is with um, artists and the commercial side it impacts everything it kind of even though it's very kind of divorced money wise and access wise from um your average artist trying to make it um around the world um how it goes if people come and buy a lot of stuff and really impacts kind of the general scene because it gives everybody this kind of confidence to proceed and the good for the good and the bad that's how the art world runs at the moment so everyone's in Basel this week and there is kind of a kind of cautious excitement about kind of 
everyone getting together again and seeing some new stuff and also it was really exciting chance the thing with fairs is it's very immediate there's this chance to see um what people have been making over the last 18 months it's kind of really it's the new stuff and that's quite exciting and then obviously that leads into freeze which is um the 13th of october that opens and um, then we have a load of i'll be talking to you about that um obviously next time but we'll ha that's lots of exhibitions freeze week i would just look up freeze week and see lots of exhibitions free ones the openings and um events and things around the city and then you've also got the fair if you wanted to spend nearly a hundred pounds on a ticket um controversially <laughs> but um obviously it's commercial enterprise they've got to make their money back but i think everyone's kind of that's going to be a really exciting week whether you're professionally participating or you're attending or you can just go to the free events around the city for that week it's going to be I guess the reopening, proper reopening of the art world in London and a chance, yeah, to see what people have been making over the last 18 months, which I think is really exciting. Um, and um, one, th and then there's the exhibition Mixing It Up, which is open, which I wanted to talk a little bit about. There's so much painting happening. I mean, there's this, I think people have stopped saying painting is dead, haven't they? Um, but people talk a lot about painting and um, I think partly due to kind of, it, kind of, instigated a little bit by the black portraiture movement where it was kind of the idea when people started p painting like artists like Harry James Marshall started painting other black people and kind of everyone realized that there really weren't any pictures of people of color anywhere in museums that weren't kind of these slightly kind of um saddening history paintings a lot of the time or which you know mm. and um there was this dearth of representation that has kind of seen this kind of big push to get, you know, it redefined portraiture because it take, took portrait from being just simply a painting of a person to actually a statement. Here is this person. This person deserves to be on a wall. It's almost akin to the revolution that happened in painting with impressionism where and realism where, you know, French artists were like, no, fake people from history and not who we want to paint. We want to paint people we see on the street. And it's, 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 I think, when people look back on this time, it will be, it will be viewed a little bit like that. It's a total revolution. And what's great about the way the world runs at the moment is it can be acted on so quickly, which means exhibitions going up around, like we've got Labena Himmage show opening in November at the Tate. And um, her recognition came quickly. And that's, it's so fantastic to see her have a retrospective at Tate Modern um, and many other artists getting their dues, which we can talk about in Black History Month, I think. That might be good. Um, <laughs> but going back, and it's not just black, it's people of colour across the board and people who maybe just aren't from the Western world. So just to clarify... And then um, what opened a couple of weeks ago in London was Mixing It Up, Painting Today. So just relating to that, it's a show at Hayward. It's a huge 31 artist show and it's meant to take a kind of litmus test of all this painting that's responded to this time. And um, I highly recommend going. Some people have said it's too much, but I would say take your time because there's a lot that's worth seeing. And it's everything from 
post-internet art, so kind of stuff that's based on memes, really funny, clever stuff about female representation. Um, there are artists that are getting their due late in life, like Je Denzel Forrester, like Labena, and... Um, it's just a swathe of painting that you may just never heard of. Queer representation, everything. It's worth taking your time and having a little stroll around that show. It's a lot of painting, but it's worth, yeah, checking out. I really recommend it. And um, quick shout out to me doing a rare gig. <laughs> um, I'm going to be interviewing Robert Rubbish on stage on Monday at The Social as part of the launch of Rough Trade Books art series. Um, also taking part will be the white pube, the fantastic white pube, Wilfred Wood and Banja, Babak um, Ganjai will be talking to the great journalist Sophie Hewood. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun evening, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Get down there to the yeah. social. I think it'll be a laugh. Yes, that's on Monday. Um, rare chance to see me in public. And... Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, no, no, that'll be a fun chat. You've known Robert for ages, yeah, right? Yeah, I have. I'm really, really looking forward to it. He is a really interesting artist, a kind of London legend, and he's he's just hilarious. He's a funny, funny guy. Yeah, um, it's a really strong selection of pamphlets. Rough Trade books are just going from strength to strength. I really love what they're doing. Totally. Yeah. All right. Um, next up, we have summertime as we the summer dies before our eyes and we head into the autumn, my favourite time of year. Um, here we have... Um, we have um, Summertime by Billy Strings and Don Julin. are jumping and the cotton is high your pappy's rich and your mama's good looking hush little baby honey don't you cry one of these mornings up singing Gonna spread out them wings And take to the sky Until that day You better hush up your crying Cause your mama and your pappy Honey, they're standing
Fish are jumping and the cotton is high. Your pappy's rich and your mama's good looking. Hush, little baby, honey, don't you cry. I said, hush, little baby. And that was Summertime by Billy Strings. I'm going to dedicate that one to um, Richard Cripps, to Dickie, who wrote our soundtrack, actually. The soundtrack to this programme is by Dickie. So if you're listening, Dickie, that song's for you. Okay, so live in the studio, we have Shemaine Suleiman. She's a writer and a poet. Um, She rocks my world. She's the editor of The Good Immigrant USA. And she's also going to be the judge of the Janet Prize in 2022, which is very exciting. Um, I've got so many questions and so much I want to chat to you about um but before we go get into any of that I was wondering if I could be so bold as to ask you to read an excerpt from The Good Immigrant uh yeah I would absolutely love to um so this is uh it's called My Name Is My Name and it's from the original uh Good Immigrant that came out uh, five years ago uh and I'll, I'll read a couple of uh pages for you from from the beginning One September, I wrote my name as it would be seen in Turkish letters and fountain pen across my desk. The teacher, a thin woman with high cheekbones, wiped it clean despite my protests that she look at it first. S with a line under it, I-M-E-N. I don't know where the desire to do so came from. My parents had never spelt my name like this nor wanted to but I had seen the Indian and Nigerian kids in my classroom become Bobbies and Ziggies as the heritage of their authentic monikers was redesigned. Standardisation is the backbone of the empire, after all, but survival is forgiving. And these were kids who knew that the blow of being called the P-word on the climbing frames could be smoothed away faster with a whiter-sounding nickname. Years later, I remember the surprising tastes of the Bangladeshi food from a workman's cafe buried behind a bus lane in Stepney. The collective flavours of what we grew to know as Indian food were of course aspects of three or four nations' dishes and muted for a British palate. On TV and online, famous chefs even now attempt their own versions of such resonant dishes as jollof rice or rice and peas, one going as far as to ruin the dish and enrage Jamaican viewers by using green garden peas instead of kidney beans. Over the years, on mainstream radio stations where NWA, Souls of Mischief or Kendrick Lamar should have played, Vanilla Ice, Eminem and Macklemore did and still do. If cultures were to survive in England, it would be on the shoulders of bastardisation. This was clear to people like my parents who understood this to mean that simplicity and effortlessness were of themselves the root of anglicisation. They had the foresight to see that C-H-I-M-E-N-E would sooner be pronounced chimney, that school children would sing chim chimney chim chimney chim chim charu in front of thoughtless teachers. Instead, my name was offered to the English in phonetics, S-H-I-M-E-N. They had quite literally spelled my name out. 
at home, my name would appear on birthday cakes and cards as C-H-I-M-E-N-E. On my birth certificate, passports and bank card, it plainly read S-H-I-M-E-N. The name itself is not a Turkish one. It was a French play written called Le Cid some many centuries ago about the tortured love between a Spanish man and woman, Don Rodrigue and Chimene. The story is essentially that of Romeo and Juliet, and my parents had enjoyed the sound of the name, perhaps even that it belonged to literature and love. It is scarcely recognised that my name is a French one. It is foreign, and I am foreign, and it is within this framework that I move. With family and friends, I am C-H-I-M-E-N-E, layered in cultures and afforded the romance of such a name. With the state, I am S-H-I-M-E-N, conciliatory and afraid that my difference is a thing of difficulty for the British. One evening my father drove me to yoga. It was a practice then new to me, and in the freshly painted walls of an old Finsbury Park clothes factory, a white woman with long hair would fold and bend until we repeated her motions. It was as I stepped from the car that my father said, your grandmother used to work here. Here, my mother's mother would stitch clothes behind a sewing machine with Turkish women who had only wanted from life the privilege of work. Some decades later, I was rolling a mat out, as one rolls the carpet of gentrification over our ancestors' footprints, onto the floor of a room of exercising white bodies. I remember laughing when the instructor closed her eyes and placed her mouth in a way to make the om sound. Others followed, and I thought how easy saying things came to them without understanding their essential nature. Words, names and their noises are careless in England. They are not put to use in the way that obstructed communities have learnt to pronounce every violence put upon us as though it is sacred. We carry our trauma in every word that we say. The three religions that this chant spread across did not exist in the instructor's mouth. Spirituality cannot be borrowed. Religion belongs to the cultures we are brought up in and cannot be studied and replicated without family. There is no Om without Indian Dharmas, as there is no Allah without Islam, nor pull-up without UK garage, or two hands coming together to form a W without Wu-Tang. That is to say... You cannot have meaning without knowledge of the environment from which it stems. This woman was not speaking of the infinite, the world, the truth. What she meant was this is a calming noise for you. This helps you focus. This is the end of the session. It did not mean om.
to Roaring Twenties Radio on Soho Radio. If you want to tweet along and you like what you're hearing, you'll find us on Instagram, Roaring Twenties Radio, and also on, on Twitter as well, at Roaring Twenties Radio. The 20 is a number two and an O, and then the S is like a little S, so Roaring Twenties Radio. So do tweet along and do come and follow us and uh, let us know any feedback, what you think about the show. Now I am here in the studio with Amma Rose and Shimen Suleiman, who's just read beautifully from The Good Immigrant. I cannot believe it's been five years. It's absolutely nuts. I can't, I, I, you know, when I, was, when I was reading through it and I was trying to find like an extract that I wanted to read, it, it's really, really interesting because there's so much of it that I felt like, oh, I wouldn't have said that like that. Oh, I didn't like that sentence. Um, which goes to show just how much time has actually passed. And it's really scary because I don't feel like it's been five years and I don't know where this time has gone. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where the time has gone. I'm I'm the same. My essay in there is shade, and I think I would definitely rewrite some bits in my essay differently now. Now we're on this side of Brexit. Now we're mm. on this side of a pandemic. Um, it's quite extraordinary, actually. Yeah. So 2016, the Good Immigrant was published. Yeah. What did it achieve? Where did we? What happened to it? Give us a quick rundown. If someone's been doesn't know what the Good Immigrant is. Uh- Okay, so how did it how did it come about? It was a conversation between friends um, about how there wasn't enough uh, representation in publishing, uh, as well as conversations around immigrants and immigration and the fact that you're only really accepted when you're the good immigrant, yeah. when you win an Olympic award or you scale <laughs> a wall to save a child in France, yeah, um, and then you're a superhero, and you've got to jump through these in, insane hoops. Uh, to to become one of the good ones and the rest of us are bad or just completely erased from the narrative. And how did we do it? We talked about, um, we went to Unbound and we um, managed to raise funds for it within, it was three days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was It was ready to go. Three days, we had more than enough money to yeah. publish it. It's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, it was People just, power. It, absolutely. And, and also it's kind of, it's really bittersweet for me because Obviously, I'm so happy that the book has done so well and has resonated with so many people, and that's really important. But where it's really sad for me is the fact that that many people, especially people of colour and kids of immigrants, were so starved for content and so starved to see themselves in books 
in publishing or just in the media in general that everyone just sort of latched onto this book and it's amazing that we could do that and that we provided that and we're a part yeah. of that journey mm. and that I'm so proud of that and so proud of like all of us I mean because it did, it did incredibly it was a number one bestseller it, it, it sparked loads of conversations so and loads many. of other books and other projects that were mirroring and, and, and you know building on that conversation absolutely there's so many anthologies that have followed not just anthologies like just you know books in their own right I mean it's it yeah it's just been it's been an astonishing project and I think it's given people the voice and the safety and the platform and 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 it's also shown publishing and the media that actually this idea that oh there isn't an audience for it it's like there is an audience for it like Mm. we're here we've always been here that's such a myth, the lack of audience right. thing. I mean, across the board, I remember you've just reminded me of something I wrote totally unrelated about, again, tapping into other cultures. And um, and I was like, oh, you know, what's this new popularity? And then it was like, this is one of the most popular things we do, this exhibition. It's just that the establishment never wants to say that it's popular. Of course. Yeah. Of course. It's a complete erasure. Yeah. I mean, the good immigrant just smashed it. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. I remember it was just on, just completely just trending all over all social media. Um, and that was this time five years ago. And little did we know, I mean, we were, uh, um, I wouldn't like to use the word upset, but we were passionate about it. We wanted to speak up. We wanted to, yeah, maybe upset is all right to use. Yeah. We were, we were, we wanted to, you know, 21 of us got together under Nikesh um, guiding us like a shepherd, like herding cats. Yeah. And like bless him for all the hard work he did yeah. to sort of keep us all on track and get that to happen. Um, but yeah, we had no idea in 2016 what would be coming over the next five years. And I'm, I'm really like, I, I kind of, it's like we put a flag in there in that year um, and and it's, it's, it's remarkable and exciting that they're going to be republishing it with a new cover which is beautiful it's like black yeah, it's and gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah 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 it's I mean it's it's also quite scary that at that point we were like oh my god everything is so bad and now we're like oh my god I missed five years ago it was so much easier like, how did we get here I know I know I'm quite curious about that moment in terms of um, I, I spoke to someone the other day and they didn't. It's like the word platform now is, again, something that's become slightly kind of loaded. But when you, uh, especially as a writer, and you're, you, you're publishing stuff and you're, you're putting your opinion out there. But when it comes to things like when I feel like when it comes to identity and erasure, there are parts of yourself that across the board, I think, but particularly when it comes to race and background, that people don't share in their writing. And sometimes I found that I didn't realise I wasn't sharing something until someone said, oh, but what about this? And what's it like to suddenly have someone go, but I want to know about that? For me personally, it's quite interesting. It's kind of almost like, well, that's mine. You can't have that. I give you everything else. You can't have that. But then once you share it, it's out there. And I wondered what to what's it what it's like to suddenly start sharing that part of yourself as a writer um yeah it's it's I mean I'm an oversharer in my writing anyway and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that I have so I mean like like all of us you know it's like I, I have really complex issues with my identity which I think this year is the first year where I'm kind of chill about it but you know for the for the last however many years of my life has been a real like I don't know what I am everything's a big mess and I try the, the only time that I can work that out is through my writing so I actually kind of want to sit down and and 
that's the only place where I want to talk about my identity and overshare what I'm feeling because that's the process for me. Um, and that's when I start to feel like I can understand who I am and then just sort of like put, put that to bed. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I think largely because I find it, I, it's it's weird. It's like sometimes I feel like I'm writing to people that I know who don't know who don't understand something fundamental about me. And it upsets me because I'm like, we're friends or we're in a relationship. Why don't you know this thing about me? Like, mm. how can I keep trying to explain this in the pub? And sometimes I feel like when I sit down and I write an essay like that, it's just so that I can hand it to them and go, here you go, this is like, this is it. So that I don't have to keep trying to kind of painfully explain myself. Um, like in this dynamic. So yeah, I, I'm fine with oversharing. Yeah. In my writing, probably just in general, to be honest. Because <laughs> I find you, you're very vocal on, on social media. You really speak up for yourself and for others, not just uh, um, issues of race, but sometimes sexism, feminism. Sure. You're on that. You're there right in the front line and in the trenches. Um, I, you know, I, I really admire you. And you're so, to me, like probably one of the most courageous writers I know in that you really don't back down and speak up. Um, I think the thing that breaks my heart about all of this is how much beautiful work would be made mm. if we didn't have to spend so much energy yep. constantly repeating ourselves, constantly defending our space, constantly speaking up for, signing petitions for, marching for, trying to, you know, again, explain why one thing or another thing is offensive. I mean, would you like to sort of talk about that a bit? I mean, the energy that is, is spent is insane. Oh, it's just it's awful, isn't it? And it, it, I mean, I had a really good friend of mine, uh, who you know as well as poet Anthony Anaxagori, and he said to me, so <laughs> he said to me, I read through your Twitter feed and I can't work out if you're really brave or really crazy. <laughs> I was like, I, think, I don't know. Which, I was like, a little bit of both. Um, I, like a lot of it is also because I just don't really have a have a filter as well, and I don't like. More than anything, I don't like seeing other people get picked on. I don't like seeing other people in pain. Mm -hmm. I find it easier when someone is mean to me on social media. I get it all the time. I get like loads of like death threats, rape threats, abuse. Um, you know, you're a ugly Turkish cockroach and all the rest of it. And it, and it happens. Like, it happens mm. really frequently. And in a way, I find that. No, I definitely find that easier. I find that easier to deal with than I do when I see it happening to someone else. I can laugh it off, which is either which is a combination of a defence mechanism and a bizarre sense of humour. Yeah. But I can't laugh it off when I see someone else that yeah. happening to someone else. And there's the other thing as well, whereas a, a direct death or rape threat or direct racist comment directly you can sort of deal with it's when it's nicely glossed over mm. with a nice scone and cream and scone and smile mm -hmm. that I can't handle. Yeah. yeah. When it's more insidious. Yeah. Mm. Someone sending me something like direct and blunt. I'm like, Oh man, I feel so sorry for you. That's so pathetic. Um, and then I just thought, and then I ignore it and I get on with my day. But like you said, it's this insidious, like all oh, nicely packaged. Yeah. Like all delicate, like it's all rather lovely, but actually at the core of it, you're like that. That that's what's dangerous. That's yeah. what's really scary. And that's yeah. where that's where places uh, places like tokenism lives. Mm -hmm. That's where places mm -hmm. like trying to look. You know, sometimes I I almost feel like being people are more worried about being called a racist than actually 
making sure they're not racist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Does uh, that sound... Abs- no, 100%. Yeah. 100%. They put as much effort into not saying the racist thing and learning why it's racist as they do into defending themselves or trying or saying the racist thing but then trying to, 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 to get sort of... Accept, to be accepted for it. Just don't... Just, just learn or don't. Just own it also. Yeah. Just own it. I, in a way, I find being around right-wing people easier than being around sort of fake liberals because at least I know where I stand yeah. with like actual right wing or, or with racists like I, I kind of they, they own that and it does not, there's nothing that's going to surprise me but you have this group of people who are actually just there for the clout and it's fashionable to not to not to be an anti-racist and they're, they're not in it you know they're, and they're taking up space that's also the kind of person who'll explain to you ex- explain it break it down for you exactly what, exactly what you know and what you've been living with for your entire life exactly explained yeah. back to you and then you're and it's almost like so this is how i'm not abusing you exactly this is how i'm not standing in your way anymore do you know what that i had quite I don't, I don't know if i've said this before i had that i this really made me laugh when um somebody shall remain nameless i'm just reading a book all, all about my privilege <laughs> And it made me laugh. Oh, so someone much. actually said that to you. Yeah. Oh my god! It's all about, all about my privilege, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Oh, that's just so cringe. If isn't that's it? what you've taken away from it, I don't know what to say. Oh, that's just yeah, and it's it's funny because it's always I noticed that when I was living in New York, it used to happen quite a lot, where the 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 people who you know. The, white liberals who sort of show up to be like yes you're right about all of these things suddenly the moment where you say something that they can see themselves in they're like well that you're off the mark with that one that one that one you're off the mark on it's like so everything else was 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 fine when when it was sort of glaringly about a trump supporter that was okay mm-hmm. but the second that you can relate to that you see yourself in that suddenly i don't know what i'm talking about the years of writing about this or lecturing about this or speaking studying this living it living it mm. that suddenly it doesn't count that's the one time where i'm wrong mm. and that you know about racism more than i do because you saw yourself in that package it's yeah that that's that's the shit that scares me more actually mm. Mm. and um, oh i was just going to say just in case anyone that's listening that's that's that that is you know bombarded and is feeling picked on what what do they do like what advice do you give like how how do you where's the support who's supporting you how who saves you who looks after you and defends you when you're being bombarded by in on social media for example yeah yeah um i think sometimes well just sort of logging out and i found that the easiest thing to do is to set up a time, like, if you do want to read it. And I understand that because I think there's there's a side of all of us where even though it's very easy to go, oh, just don't, just don't read the comments, don't read below the line. Like, sometimes you sort of feel compelled to. And if you do, and you do know that you want to go through it and see what's happening, set up a time to meet up with friends, have them over, go to a bar and spend an hour going through it with them. And either just trying to make light of it or ranting to each other about it and then put your phone away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I either do that or I just or I just log out and I stay away for long enough that by the time I calm down and I come back, I don't actually 
need to read any of those comments anymore. Yeah, and it's all kind of boiled down again. Yeah. Because that's the thing with Twitter, isn't it? Kind of things kind of boil up and then suddenly they disappear and someone's angry, they're all angry about something else. It's very, very weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, or it doesn't well, go away. Or it doesn't go away. <laughs> I'm wondering if you want to talk about the latest. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's. I'm appalled that it's still going on. Yes. I am too. Um, so, yeah, obviously you're, you're referring to the, the Kate Clancy stuff. Um, and the uh, book that I mean, it's just it's just an insane story. I don't even know where to start. Sort of essentially outed herself really by saying I didn't write these racist words. Yes. And then people screenshotted the words and they were like, "These are in your book." And I somehow got involved a day later, I guess, just commenting. Not even on the book. Didn't wasn't commenting on the book. I commented on the structure of. Um, you know, the the lie is actually what fascinated me. The lie and how it was being used to target someone else. Yes, because then the person was then trolled because loads of people thought the person was lying. Yeah, yes. the re- they thought the reviewer was lying. And also the fact that there were loads of like successful professional writers and industry people who were joining in. To- Pitching in without... And it's like, A, has anyone read the book? Has anyone who'd read the book would have read the words well the, what was really interesting was seeing lots of like well-established writers chipping in to go i've read the book and those words definitely aren't in there and it's <laughs> like i why are you all, are you all drunk like what are you all doing like why are you all like hanging yourselves like this and for what and i think that's that's the thing that fascinated me about like you know just take take clancy out of it take the you know the publishing out of it, it it's just as a structure of a certain type of, of, of white woman who positions herself as, as fragile and delicate and within that she's actually spinning a web of lies because there is a victim elsewhere and that is historical and that is what I was commenting on. I'm not particularly interested in, in, in one writer and, and, and her mates on Twitter. It was the fact that... And it had already started, it had already started to blow up by the time that I even commented on it. I wasn't ripping her book apart. As as all of the media have decided that she's the ripped her own there. book apart, she hasn't she? Because she's rewriting it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's that's precisely that. Um, but a lack of apology and a lack of contrition, it seems. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lack of apology from from absolutely everyone, and I think one of the things that hurt the most was having lots of white people in our industry talk over us. And there's not a single person who actually communicated directly, not one, with me, Manisha or Sunny, not one. And they would, they'd write the articles about us, they'd tweet about us, and then other white people would join in and they'd have the conversation, whether they agreed with each other or even if they disagreed with each other, they'd have the debate. And then myself, Sunny or Manisha would join the conversation and go, could you clarify this for me? Like, you're actually talking about me. What do you mean by this? And silence. They'd like remove us from the conversation and carry on replying to the other white people. And it, it just to be not only erased like that, but also commodified because you're making money writing articles about the three of us in the same way that Clancy made money commodifying people of colour to write about in her book anyway. So we don't exist. We're just we're, we're just content. Mm. That's it. I'm not a real person. And it's honestly one of the most dehumanising degrading experiences of my life purely because it played so publicly like that 
And it's still going on now. There's still people talking about it, debating it. People are still trolling you and talking over you and about you and not actually bothering to sort of ask you to write or speak, which is why we had you on Roaring Twenties Radio today, actually. Yes, because we wanted to hear your side. Because while digging through everything, I couldn't find it. Yeah, there's no. Yeah. I mean, we haven't we been. That's, no, it's <laughs> it's true. We didn't. We no one gave us a, a right to reply. You know, and and why would they when they're changing the narrative of what's happened? Um, yeah, it's still going on. I don't know why it's going on. Still, I think partly Pullman. I think his really lovely comment likening us to what did he say would be better suited to being the critics of Clancy would be better suited to being an ISIS and the Taliban. Um, Charmed. That was such yeah. a weird comment. Why did he say that and choose those specific words like that? But it's not just um, it's not just a um, race in in the book. It's also the autistic author Dara mm. Mc, um, uh, McAnulty. Yeah. yeah, he was um, seventeen year old. Yeah, and to, to be described as jarring. I know the autistic people are jarring. I thought that was. I when yeah. I mean, I have a sister who has Williams syndrome, and I'm very protective about that and the as language be, we yeah. use and. I but, just, yeah, it also yeah. comes back to the idea of the good immigrant, doesn't it? Because it's she caveated, um, I'm hyperbolizing now, but she caveated it by saying, oh, I'm, but I've never claimed to be a good person. And it's, well, okay, well, lucky you, you don't, you don't have to seem good. Right. To be exactly. appreciated. Exactly. Yeah, and we're running out of time now. But thank you so much for sharing No, not that. at all. Yeah. And we've got a track that you've chosen yes. um, now. And yeah. we're going to end the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank no, you so just much, quickly Before you go, what are you working on next? What's yeah. coming next? What should we look out for? Uh, well, I've got two manuscripts that I need to, to get on with. I've only the, thing, the interesting thing is I've only just come back to the country after seven years, so I'm re-establishing myself, and then all of this happened. So, um, But, yeah, keep, keep an eye. There is there is stuff there is stuff coming out so just keep an eye on Twitter and Instagram when it's all sort of ready to be talked about. Wonderful, we Thank will you. be doing that. Thank you. Thank you. It's Fleetwood Mac with the chain. Thanks everyone. Bye.